you can I don't know how to do that. I'm not a rock star. How's that? That's good. good. Okay. Get Thanks. close. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, if you're here on Advent, you know this this terrifies me. <laughs> I uh, put me in a room with a bunch of cops. I'm on it. I can assault your house. I can serve a search warrant. This format terrifies me. But when Pastor asked me to talk, <clears throat> some things were put on my heart right away, and uh, and I had an idea of what I wanted to say. Um, and I realize I need to tell you about two conversations I've had with God. I really hate this thing. Um, two conversations I've had with God, and I'm going to give them in reverse order. Um, the second conversation happened when I was on the phone with Pastor, and he asked me to, to speak today. Um, the first conversation kind of prepared me for this one. Now, I don't know if Pastor asked the Lord to, to prepare my heart and my ear for what he was about to ask me, but I know he's done it every Sunday he's ever spoke at this church. And it had an effect because I was prepared to listen, but also that first conversation prepared me. Um, when he asked, and hopefully, Pastor, you'll support this, that I answered instantly. I said, yeah, whatever you got. But that's in human time. That's in my time, in pastor's time. In God's time, who created the heavens and earth from nothing, an entire conversation happened. I defaulted to, how do I get out of this? You hate your voice is going to crack, your eyes are going to tear, because you hate being up there, you can come up with a legitimate reason as to why you're not the guy for this job. And as soon as I started to think that, in an instant, and I can't articulate it as well as God did, but God said, Daryl, you and your church family prayed for me to bring a pastor. I answered the prayer. You may think that you guys picked him, but you didn't, I did. Now he's asking something of you, and he's asking something for you on my behalf that cost you nothing. You're not even time. You're going to be at church anyway. Do you really got to think about it? And that's why the answer came quick. Um, I tell you that story because the first story is going to lay the, it lays the groundwork for how I learned to listen more effectively because I didn't listen before. And so before I tell you the first story, or the first conversation I had with God, which is clearly the conversation I had with God when Pastor was on the phone with me, was God talking to me like my daddy. He's laying down the what for, and it was a pretty one-sided conversation. <laughs> the other one was dialogue. It was me going to the Father and talking to him. The problem was I was cherry-picking the things I wanted to hear and picking out the stuff I already do well. Um, I'm a cop. I've been a cop for 27 years. As a cop, um, I've worked in the jail. I've worked on patrol. Uh, as a collateral assignment for 22 or 27 years, I've been a cop. For 22 of those years, I was a SWAT team member where I was an uh, operator, assistant team leader, team leader, and I retired off the team as the tactical commander. Um, I've worked detectives. I've been on several task forces. I was on a federal task force working out of C, uh, the San Jose office for the DEA. And while on patrol, I led the department every single year in felony arrest, self-initiated felony arrest. Um, I pat myself on the back for that. I've always been very proud of that. And you're going to find out as this story goes, that's a little premature. And I'm going to get a little shoulder pain from patting myself on the back <laughs> prematurely. Um, 
because in, in cherry-picking the things only I wanted to hear and the things I was already doing good, I, I, uh, I always treated people with dignity and respect. And I believe that was my entire Christian contribution to my job. Uh, I've been shot at. People have tried to stab me. People have punched me. I've been in the, ho- <clears throat> the hospital with someone I put there, and they've apologized to me for making me hurt them and then thanked me for treating them with dignity and respect after I had to hurt them. And I thought, well, that's a good Christian example. That's You're starting to see a theme here? <laughs> All right, so... Finally, God, as he often does, he uses my wife to, to open up the dialogue, to make me listen to his side, because too often... I'm busy telling God what I need, what I want, and then telling him how I want him to fix it. Um, So my wife says, hey, look, I see this homeless guy. He lives in a tarp, under a tarp, tied to a fence behind the rodeo ground. He has some leg problems, which he did. He needed surgery on both legs. Um, We need to reach out to him. So we're going to put after church, we're going to take him a care package and and go help this this homeless guy. All right, so... After church, we go to Starbucks, we uh, get ourselves a Starbucks, we get him a Starbucks, we take him the care package, it has a bunch of you know, salami and cheese, some hot chocolate and um, cookies, some stuff for his dog, some treats for his dog, and a couple of really nice blankets. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself, okay? I'm patting myself on the back for this great thing that I'm doing when... My wife didn't only do the heavy lifting, she did all the lifting. I just happened to be there. But I did marry her. <laughs> and as a man, and I think every married man in here is, uh, is going to be able to identify with this, I'm going to take a little bit of credit because I picked the right woman, so I'm feeling pretty good about the great thing I'm doing. Um, right up until the, the homeless guy hands us the blankets back. Say, said, man, I, my dog has a warm bed and a blanket, and I have a nice blanket. Um, give these to somebody who needs them. One of the coolest things about being married for me, and this is goofy. This is goofy. Sorry if I lose. I'm not a good public speaker. We've already went through that over Advent. So, um, is seeing my wife wear my clothes. When she comes out wearing my sweatshirt or my T-shirt, I just think it's cool. But I have t-shirts, and I have dozens of t-shirts that I don't wear because I love them so much I want to keep them new. And if she comes out wearing one of those, I'm now a three-year-old in the schoolyard that you just took his favorite toy. I'm like, hey, what are you doing to my shirt? So I have dozens of t-shirts, and I'm that protective over this piece of tattered cloth. This guy has a warm blanket, so he's giving us a brand new one back. Um... So God's starting to speak to me through that. My dad, who I love and I'm close to, but we don't talk very often. And when we do talk, we never talk about our day-to-day lives. We talk about, you know, hey, how's your family? How, you know, he loves my wife, so he talked, asked me about her. He asked about the grandkids. But on the way home, he said, you've got to call your dad. And God's telling me, and I know God's telling me, you've got to call your dad. So I call my dad and I tell him the story that I just told you. My dad, without missing a beat, says, wow, son, you got to see the face of God in that man today. Um, it it punched me that 
God used my father's voice to put in my ear. But those were God's words. Because he know he Daryl, I love you, but you're a little slow. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna have the man you respect most on the planet put my word in your ear for you, so even you have to hear it. So that caused me to open my Bible a little wider for a little longer. And and now when I'm praying, I'm no longer trying to figure out the answer. I'm just praying. And then I'm being still, and I'm being quiet, and I'm listening. And um, one of the reasons I was so effective at being a cop and I was able to put so many bad guys in jail was uh, everybody that wasn't a good guy was a bad guy. There was us and there was them. And if you know left from right, you know right from wrong. And if you pick wrong, you're one of them. Um, I could drive by, I could see a guy, man, I've arrested that guy five times in the last year. Um, and he could be helping a bunch of orphans and having a picnic with his family, and he was still a them. He was still a criminal. And maybe he's doing he's not breaking the law right now, but I'll get him tomorrow because all I saw was a criminal. And God said, you know, Daryl, if I thought like you, you'd be a them to me. Sorry. <laughs> um And he goes, so, and this is God talking, he goes, thank me that I don't think like you. Um, and maybe it's time you start thinking a little bit more like me. And this conversation, using my wife, using my dad, um, pastor, was so real when I got out of my own way and I stopped trying to think what God's answer was, like, pray and then okay what would God probably want me to do in this situation and I actually listened to what he had to say it just revealed itself and then the manifestation of that is there was a guy I used to chase around I've asked his permission to tell this story so I'm not betraying any trust here but there was a a guy I used to chase around I used to arrest every time I saw him and I tell him you know I'm going to arrest you every time I see you and he finally leaves town and he's gone for a couple of decades and I go surfing one day and, and this kid was a surfer and after a couple of decades, somebody says his name, and they said, that's how, he has to have him out there in the water. So I paddle up, and I go, hey, is your name so-and-so? And he goes, yeah. I go, you probably don't remember me. And he laughs and goes, oh, I remember you, Simpson. <laughs> so we start a dialogue, and he starts telling me about some of the, the things he's been going through. And another couple of buddies of ours that are Christians had been witnessing to him and, and kind of planting that seed. And I just kind of talked to him, encouraged him a little bit. But he's still a them. But I'm kind of getting over that. And I go back and I open my Bible a little wider, leave it open a little longer, and I pray about it. And God says, look, Daryl, again, I love you, but you're being a little bit thick. Um, Remember when I patted myself on the back for all those arrests? God told me, he goes, hey, man, those were opportunities. And you missed every one of them. You just saw people to put in jail. Those were the guys that needed me. Um, so now I've brought a guy that you dropped the ball with by your own admission several times 20 years ago. I'm not just giving you the opportunity to help a guy who needs me. I'm, helping you give, I'm giving you the opportunity to help a guy that you were supposed to help 20 years ago. So I believe I'm reaching out to this 
this guy, and I'm going to bless him. I don't know if I am or not, but I do know he's blessed me. Um, that relationship has helped me grow. It's helped me learn how to listen. It's helped me uh, realize that um, there's not an us in them. We're all children of God. Some of us are on different paths. Some of us need help. Some of us need to go to jail. And I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> but, uh, but we all need God's grace. And the same grace that God extended to me is the grace that he extended to my friend that I served with. And he's the same grace that's being extended to the people that I arrest. And the same mercy and love that he gives them is the same that he gives me. And he sent the same son down to die down for them that he sent for me. And thank God that he doesn't think like I did and see me as a them. So. Us and them. Us and them. So often, that's the way we view our world. So often we say that we're the ones that are rescued, we're the ones that have it all together, we're the ones that have it all figured out, and yet God says in the midst of those times, I care for everybody. I care greatly for everybody. And hopefully not all of us are as thick-headed as Daryl and we pick it up a little bit more quickly. But frankly, all of us are thick-headed. And we need that reminder all the time. You see, when we allow God's story to get involved in our lives, we understand that, that our story is a part of a bigger story, a part of Him doing amazing things. It opens up life for us. It opens up life for us. I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to, to John chapter 4. And, and Tracy, we're going to skip just to that point now, okay? So we're not going to do this other stuff. But uh, in John chapter 4, we read these words. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he, that he was, begin, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at the, for, the first portion of this dialogue between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we can hear, open our minds that we can understand, and open our hearts that we'd be 
that we would be transformed by your grace just as your grace has transformed Daryl Simpson's life. Transform us. Transform us to see that there are opportunities all around us. And Lord, may no one hear anything I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear. And may you be lifted up because you are the one, Lord Jesus, who changes lives and deserves all glory. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Jesus Christ goes on the road again. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, if you were one of his disciples, if you were the one of the people that, as we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our purpose here, the one purpose of as we go we make disciples, if you were here for that, that Sunday, I talked about the importance of getting dusty, of walking with Jesus, of getting his dust on us. So Jesus is on the road again. And Jesus never commands something that he himself did not do. When he said, as you go, make disciples, Jesus wasn't saying something that he wasn't doing. He was doing that all the time. He commands us to love our neighbor. There is no greater lover of neighbors than Jesus Christ. He commands us to turn the other cheek. His cheeks were bruised, they were bloody, they were beaten on a day we call Good Friday. He commands us to forgive one another. On the cross, he proclaimed, forgive them, they know not what they do. He commands us to go and make disciples. His entire life was spent making disciples. It was impossible for him to not make disciples. He did it all the time. His life was spent making disciples. And it was not certain people that he made disciples, but it was all types of people. You take a look at the team that he put around him. His apostles consisted of a fisherman, of a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, a thief, and a zealot. A zealot who wanted nothing more than to see the Roman government completely overthrown. But he took this ragtag group of people and he used them. He, he ministered to them. He, he showed what life was truly all about. There was no particular one type of person needing to, that, that he focused in on. He focused in on everyone. He focused in on everyone because he was all about making disciples. And he made them all the time. He made them wherever he went. And as he went, he made disciples. I need to keep saying that again and again because so often we want to think that Jesus was a stationary figure, that he didn't do a whole lot, that people came to him. But as you read the Gospels, Jesus Christ is always on the move. And he's on the move because his Gospel goes everywhere. Because people... Are everywhere. 
Daryl shared with you these stories of, of how he used to view life as an us versus them, and yet you come into the gospel and you come specifically to John chapter 4, and it was a very us versus them idea back then for the Jews. How many of you, I want to see a show of hands, and, I, and I, we're in a safe place, you're not going to be judged. How many of you have ever held a grudge against someone? Good. I haven't. Um, so, <laughs> no, we all have. We all have. We've all held a grudge. And we know it's wrong. We hear it's wrong. But it can't really have that big of an impact on us, can it? We come to John chapter 4. And I need to give you the backstory here because over the course of the next few weeks, all we're going to be looking at is John chapter 4. We're going to take our time through this because there are so many things going on in this fascinating story. And so we're told that Jesus is taking off. He's going to leave Judea and go back once more to Galilee. And we pick it up in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. You've held a grudge. I've held a grudge. We know it's wrong. We ask God to give us grace, and we, and we, give, we extend forgiveness. But this grudge that we're going to talk about now as we look at this, as we begin to lay this out, this grudge has been going strong since 722 B.C. A grudge that started in 722 B.C. is still living and active as we come to this place where Jesus is in Sychar. It probably took about, it probably took Jesus two and a half days to get from Judea to Galilee, and on the way there, he stops in this town. He stops in this town, and I think it, I don't think it's here by accident, because Jesus Christ's gospel goes everywhere. It goes everywhere. And we're told that he had to go through Samaria. Could he have gone around? He could have. But it would have added a whole lot more time to his journey, and it would have taken him, obviously he still would have been making disciples, but, but he had to go through this town. And what we need to understand is this, is that to say that the Jews and the Samaritans were not quote-unquote fond of one another would be a massive understatement. They despised one another. The Hatfields and the McCoys... Romeo and Juliet and their family backgrounds was nothing compared to how much the Jews and the Samaritans, and I'll use this word and I mean to use it, hated one another, despised one another. As a matter of fact, as you, if you were to read through some of the, some of the writings in the intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus Christ, these passages make it abundantly clear that the Jews considered every single Samaritan filthy. And because those Samaritans were filthy, a Jew would not associate with them. Because if they associated with them, it meant that they themselves became filthy. So this grudge was deep. 
And what started all was, was this, was when the Assyrians came in and took over God's people in 722, and they took them captive, what happens was, was, was that before that, they, the Jews and the Samaritans, there were no Samaritans, it was they were working together, they were on the same team, but then the, the Assyrians come in, and what happens is the Syrians gave in to idolatry. God's people said, we're going to go a different route. We're going to add some idols to this because following God hasn't worked for us. Of course, they really weren't following God. They were doing their own thing. But we're going to add some idolatry in here. We're just going to add a little bit of it. It's not going to cause us much harm. Isn't that sort of the way we operate so often? I'm just going to add a little bit of this and a little bit of that, water things down, And the next thing you know, we're being idolaters. The Samaritans, the Samaritans gave in to that idolatry. As a matter of fact, this grudge continued to grow so much that when when God's people were, were told, you can go back to Jerusalem, you can go rebuild Jerusalem, some of the biggest opponents to the to to the people Israel to performing and completing the task in Jerusalem were Samaritans. They mocked them. They made it difficult for them. Every move that the Jews would try to make, the Samaritans did whatever they could to thwart that effort. And we want to think that it's all one-sided, but it wasn't. The Jews considered the Samaritans, not only did they consider them filth, they considered the Samaritans second-class citizens. They were below them. You talk about an us versus them mentality. The Jews and the Samaritans had it in spades. It was us versus them. The Samaritans did not deserve God's grace one bit from a Jewish perspective. Yet here's something that's interesting as you read through the Gospels. Jesus Christ always had great encounters with the Samaritans. Always. Always. The hero of the Good Samaritan story is who? A Samaritan. You think that went over well with the Jews who were hearing that story? Not at all. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the ten lepers that, that Jesus Christ healed, and we're told this, one came back, and who was that one leper that returned? A Samaritan. James and John couldn't quite figure this out. When they found out at a different story that they had to go through Samaria, this is what James and John said, hey, before we go in, can we just call down fire from heaven? And Jesus looks at him, and I would love to see that expression. He had to say, what are you talking about? This is not an us versus them thing. This is a humanity thing. I came with all my grace, with everything, to rescue all of humanity. And so Jesus is making his way from Judea down to Galilee. He stops in this place, and he's tired from the journey. And get this, keep this in mind. He could have done something else, but he chooses to sit down at a well, and who comes up to talk to him? 
a Samaritan. Now granted, he's in Samaritan territory, so it makes sense. But what we're about to see over the course of the next number of weeks is this amazing encounter between Jesus Christ and this Samaritan woman. And I believe this to be true that Jesus Christ is trying to get across a is trying to get a point across to all types of people, you, me and everybody else. Grudges never help anyone. And Jesus Christ breaks down grudges to bring healing. So before we continue, I want to ask you this question. What grudge are you holding on to that's preventing the gospel of Jesus Christ from getting out to a people that desperately needs to hear it? Is it a parent? Is it a former friend? Is it a co-worker? Is it a family member? Is it an enemy? Is it a person that you just randomly met one day and you haven't and you had a bad experience and you still can't get that out of your mind? Where is that grudge being held? Because Jesus Christ came in to bust up the grudges. He came in to break down the us versus them mentality. And the reason why is because everybody needs His grace. The God story is a story of grace. It's a story of God caring so much for humanity that He became one of us. I invite you now to flip a few pages to the right. It's before Revelation. It's a book called Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. And so Jesus Christ sits down by this well, and and we're going to get to the Hebrews passage while you're going there. I'm going to read from John 4. It says this, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus Christ does something here that's really pretty cool, but we need to need to remember this and look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He, the writer of Hebrews says this, For this reason, he, being Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the world. And notice this next line. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to be afraid. He understands what it's like to, to, have, to go into situations that, that are going to tap, tap your faith. And, and, but here's the thing. He never once failed. He never gave in because he continued to follow after the one that, who, the one that he knew he was to please, and that was his father. He understands precisely what you're experiencing. Why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because in John chapter 4, our Savior is thirsty. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he fed ten to 12,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish one time. 
Couldn't he just conjure up a little water? Yeah, could have. But he chose not to. Chose not to, and he's put in this situation where he's thirsty, he's tired, he's weary. We've all been there. Some of you showed up here this morning tired and weary. You're weary from what's going on around you. You're weary from what's going on in this country. You're weary from the family issues that you're struggling with. You're weary from job situations, from from whatever may have you. You're weary. Jesus gets that. He understands that. And so he comes to this well. And this well that he's at has history. If you read back in Genesis chapter 24, listen to what this says here. Listen to what this says. Then he prayed, Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. This very well has rich history for the Jewish people. This very well is where Isaac found his wife. This very well has rich history because Isaac needed a bride. He sends his servant to this well. The the servant's sitting around the well and he prays out and cries out to God. He says, my master needs a bride. Jesus sits down at this well where centuries and centuries prior, Isaac was looking for a bride. Listen to these words in John chapter 3, verse 29. Just a little while. This is where John places this story and it connects so much to this woman at the well. It says this, verse 29. I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 28. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. And then these words, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. What's the connection here? Jesus Christ is looking for his bride. And yes, he's not going to get married, but we are his bride. He's the one that came in and he's the one that connects this dot. He's the one that's sitting at the very well where God's people, one of their heroes, Isaac, met his bride. And Jesus Christ is now meeting his bride. And his bride being the church is, is humanity. His bride being the church is humanity that is rescued by him. And so Jesus Christ is sitting by this well. And there's history there. This grudge that the people had towards one another, this us versus them mentality, Jesus penetrates it, he obliterates it when he says, will you give me a drink? No grudge. He just wants water. He wants to connect. 
He's on common ground with her. And here's what fascinates me. Is that as Jesus saw this woman approaching, Jesus Christ did not get up from the well and go somewhere else. Jesus Christ does not shy away from anyone. He just doesn't. Folks, so often we want to sit there and think that we can insulate ourselves and that we can do this or we can do that. But Jesus Christ, because of who He is, because of what He's done, because of the Holy Spirit that He's placed in us, we're told this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, He has given us a spirit of power, not of timidity. I get it. It's scary interacting with people and talking to them or presenting to them Jesus Christ or representing Christ in the workplace or with your family or whatever. I get it. It can be really scary. But yet, we are given a spirit of power. We're given that spirit because Jesus Christ takes care of all grudges. Jesus Christ breaks down those walls and Jesus Christ does not shy away from anyone. And so he asks for this water. He engages in this dialogue. And look at her response. And this woman has moxie. Says this, verse verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She calls him out. Remember I told you, it was a two-sided conversation. This grudge has a Jewish side, a Samaritan side. She responds to him and lets him know this is completely against all types of customs. And here's an interesting thing, and I find this incredibly interesting. When she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan, here's what's interesting. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is called a Jew. No other place in the New Testament. A Samaritan acknowledges him being a Jew. So this conversation begins. And yes, we're going to stop here. Because the conversation continues. And we get to see that over the course of the next number of weeks. But there are some things I want to remind you as we go into this. And as we see just here in this brief, brief encounter that these people, that Jesus Christ has with this woman, the first is this. People are not projects. Jesus Christ did not look at this Samaritan woman as a project. He looked at her as someone who needed to be rescued. The second thing is this. It's a question. Who is in your sphere of influence? Jesus Christ is sitting down at this well and this woman enters into this area, his sphere of influence. Jesus Christ knows this, that he is to represent God. He is to represent this grace. So I want you to think about who's in your sphere of influence. Who is on that common ground with you? The third thing I want you to remember is this. You're a link. God cares more about humanity than you and I ever will. 
and he moves in such a way that he moves people to do different things and he connects these things. It's, it's putting together a chain because that, that link that he's doing is, is you're a voice, you're a life that's going to connect to another life and that life is going to connect to another. You know where I'm going with this. You heard from Daryl just a few moments ago. It wasn't just he woke up one day and said, wow. No, it took his wife, it took other people to come alongside and say, this is where you're going. You're a link. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Allow Jesus Christ to use you. Allow Jesus Christ to encourage you. The next thing is this. Find out your friend's story. What does that mean? It means listen. Instead of being the one who's talking all the time, why don't you take some time to actually listen to what's going on in their life? And asking God to help you understand when Daryl handed those blankets, when Daryl and Maria handed those blankets to that homeless person, he says, give them to somebody else who needs them. You heard what Daryl said. It struck him. It hit him. All of a sudden, he's realizing, wait a second, all these t-shirts that I get all upset about, it puts things in perspective. Daryl was listening. We need to listen as well. And then lastly is this. Pray for your friend and you in your conversations, your interactions with one another. Jesus Christ is reaching out to this woman, and, and we don't know what the dialogue's like between he and the Father at this time, but, but what we do know is that Jesus Christ is there to rescue her. She doesn't realize that yet, and perhaps your friend doesn't realize that yet as well. And perhaps you don't realize it. Perhaps you're the one that needs rescuing. You need rescuing from an us versus them mentality. Because God's grace is for everyone. And then, as we do this, we get to enjoy watching Jesus Christ speak to us and through us in so many ways. Ladies and gentlemen, God is on the move. And as we look through this chapter of scripture John chapter 4 as we talk about my story in God's story may we approach this humbly but may we also approach it confidently knowing that God wants to use us to impact this world in amazing ways father we pray as we contemplate these words we would ask that your holy spirit would move in our lives in such a way that we would be better equipped to remember that it's about you, not about us. In those moments when we decide to pat ourselves on the back, Lord, may we be mindful that you're the one who's given us what we need. Lord, we pray now as we come to the table, as we remember what you did for us, Lord, we would ask that it would motivate us to realize once again that your grace is not about an us and them thing. It's about your grace rescuing us because you care about all of us and there is no them. We love you and we thank you for what you did for us. And we pray now that you would open our, up, open our lives in such a way that we would take steps forward to share your story with this world.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we come to this time where, and we do this the first Sunday of every month, where we celebrate communion, where we, and and I use that word intentionally, it's a celebration. Yes, we will reflect, and yes, we should reflect and consider what we're about to do. But it's a celebration that Jesus Christ has done what needed to be done. It's a celebration that he came and he rescued us. And so I need to remind you of some things. First, this is for folks that have said to Jesus Christ, I'm placing my trust in you. I've placed my trust in you, and I am saying thank you for what you've done to rescue me. And so it's reserved for those folks. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, we we would ask that perhaps at this very moment you would say, I want to trust Jesus, and we invite you to do that. And we invite you to take the bread and drink, drink from the cup because he's the one who's rescued us. He's the one who's done what needed to be done. If you don't know Jesus, we would ask that you would allow the plate to pass by and, 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 and reflect on what Jesus Christ is all about. And if you have questions, please feel free to ask us. But if you know Jesus, we get to celebrate this. We get to celebrate what he's done to rescue us. So the elements will come to you, hold on to them, and then we will take them together at the end. Thank you.